The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Monday, November 14th, 2022. Coming up this hour. President Biden meets with China's Xi Jinping as tensions between the two countries simmer. A win for Democrats as the party cements control of the Senate. Stocks start the day coming off their best week since June. And a top Fed official says there's still a ways to go before stopping interest rate hikes. The Sandy Hook Memorial for the 26 people killed opens to the public. Plus, the TSA is investigating how a man got on a front. Frontier Airlines flight with two box cutters. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stashauer on sports. Saquon Barkley led the Giants to victory over Houston. The Knicks and Nets lost a win for the Rangers. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business App. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are lower this morning. We're coming up to 501 on Wall Street, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures down about 20 points this morning. Dow futures down 120, and Nasdaq futures down 89. 10-year treasury, treasury down 21 30 seconds. The yield 3.89 percent. They yield on the two-year 4.38 percent. Nathan. Karen, we begin this morning with a high-powered meeting underway between the leaders of the U.S. and China. Discussions have begun between Presidents Joe Biden and Xi Jinping in Bali, Indonesia. They are meeting on the sidelines of the G20 summit. Bloomberg's Stephen Engel is there and has the very latest. Their high stakes, obviously, is the first face-to-face meeting since Joe Biden became president between himself and Xi Jinping. They've met many times before. They've had five conversations over the phone or video conference since he became president. They've accumulated some 67 hours face-to-face over the years, of course, as Joe Biden was vice president under Obama. Uh, So they know each other, but there are so many sticking issues as the relationship between China and the United States has, in many accounts, deteriorated to the point where they've cut off military-to-military Dialogue. They've cut off some climate change cooperation uh, following that controversial visit by the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan. Bloomberg Stephen Engel in Bali says the Biden administration's played down expectations for this meeting, casting it as a first step rather than a decisive showdown. Still, Nathan, President Biden says he's coming into this meeting with President Xi in a strong position after a better-than-expected midterm election. Democrats have retained control of the Senate after word that Catherine Cortez Masto won re-election in Nevada. The red wave for Republicans did not come to pass. We get more from Bloomberg's Ed Baxter. There's growing thought that it was voters repudiating extremism and election deniers. Republican Governor Chris Sununu on ABC says the party needs to stand up and take notice. There's a a, a sense of extremism that I think a lot of Republicans were painted with, rightfully or not. And Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Many Republican leaders actually encouraged the threats of violence, the violence, the denial of an election. The House is still in the balance, but Democrats pretty much need to run the table. 
to win the House. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thanks, Ed. Turning to markets now, stocks are coming off their best week since June. Tech was the big winner following last week's inflation report. The Nasdaq 100 climbed 9.8% on Thursday and Friday for its best two-day gain since 2008. Ryan Dietrich is chief market strategist at the Carson Group. We are optimistic. We made another major market low in October. Six of the last 17 bear markets ended in October. This could be another one. And again, expectations are so low that any good news can continue to kind of push this beach ball higher. The Carson Group's Ryan Dietrich says the S&P 500 is up 11 percent since the end of September. Well, at the same time, Nathan, stocks are likely to end next year almost unchanged from their current level. That's according to Morgan Stanley's Michael Wilson, the top-rated strategist. He's a volatile path to get to his 2023 year-end S&P target. It's about 2% below where stocks closed on Friday. Wilson expects equities to fall as earnings estimates come down before rebounding in the second half of next year. Well, many strategists, Karen, say the key for the markets will be the Fed pivoting from its rate hike cycle. However, Fed Governor Christopher Waller says there is still a ways to go before they stop raising interest rates. Waller told a conference in Sydney this morning the rates will stay high for a while until inflation gets closer to the Fed's target. Well, Nathan Goldman Sachs sees a significant decline in inflation next year. The firm expects the core PCE measure to decline to 2.9 percent by December of 2023. It's currently at 5.1 percent. Goldman points to softening supply chain problems, a peak in a shelter inflation and slower wage growth. All right. We want to bring you up to date now on the latest developments involving FTX. Authorities in the Bahamas are investigating whether there was criminal misconduct in the collapse of the crypto exchange. Police and regulators interviewed co-founder Sam Bankman freed on Saturday. There are growing signs FTX customers have little chance of recovering their deposits. The head of rival exchange Binance, CZ Zhao, says the industry can't leave it to regulators to police wrongdoing. No one can protect a bad player, to be very frank. If a guy who's very good at lying and very good at just pretending to be what he's not, somebody wants to violate the law, the law is not going to prevent that. Uh, the law can help to reduce that. Um, as industry players, we should be more vocal about it. We should set very strong standards for the industry. Binance's CZ Zhao was involved in a public feud with Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX, a dispute that played out as part of the collapse of FTX last week. We turn our attention now to Elon Musk. The world's richest man says he has too much work on his plate. He's currently the CEO of Twitter, Tesla, and SpaceX, plus a few other ventures. Speaking at a business conference running alongside the G20, Musk says the amount that he tortures himself is, quote, next level. I mean, I'm really working at the absolute most amount that I can work from morning till night, seven days a week. Um, so this is not something I'd recommend, frankly. Um, yeah. Musk, who took over Twitter earlier this month, has already fired around half the firm's staff and ended the company's work-from-home policy. Now to another corporate story this morning. Roche says a long-awaited experimental drug for Alzheimer's disease failed in a pair of large studies. It is another disappointment in a research field that's been marred with failures. Roche shares right now are down 5% in Europe. And finally, Nathan, London has lost its crown as Europe's biggest stock market. It's now behind Paris as economic growth continue, uh, concerns weigh on U.K. assets. Meantime, China's relaxation of COVID rules is boosting French luxury shares. Currency movements have also been an advantage for Paris as the pound has weakened 13 percent against the dollar this year. The euro has fared slightly better, weakening around 9 percent. And straight ahead, we have your latest local headlines plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg. 
Thank you, Karen. It's 507 on Wall Street. We're 39 degrees in Central Park, headed only to the upper 40s today. We've got a crash northbound New York State Thruway near Exit 10. Michael Barr is here with what else is going on in New York and around the world. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. The long-awaited memorial to the victims of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting officially opened to the public yesterday, drawing visitors steadily throughout the day. A circular memorial pool stood in front of the engraved names of the 21st graders and six educators killed a short distance from the Connecticut school nearly 10 years ago. There was no ceremony in keeping with Newtown's tradition of marking anniversaries and other remembrances of the shooting with quiet reflection. Just what Jenny Hubbard and other Sandy Hook parents and families were hoping for. When you have a tragedy like Sandy Hook or any other tragedy that rocks any community, it's nice to have a place that marks that moment. It will be 10 years next month that Jenny's daughter, Catherine Hubbard, just six, was killed in the Sandy Hook shooting. Former Vice President Mike Pence is talking about what happened during the January 6th attack. Ahead of his new book release, Pence on ABC condemned then-President Trump's actions that day saying he endangered his family and everyone in the Capitol. He says the president's words were reckless, and it was clear he decided to be part of the problem. I turned to my daughter, who was standing nearby, and I said, it doesn't take courage to break the law. It takes courage to uphold the law. Mike Pence's new book, entitled So Help Me God, comes out tomorrow. More hospitals are reporting a surge of patients, young and old, with RSV and the flu, the most and earliest in years. Connecticut hospitals are considering asking for National Guard help. Dr. Ian Michelow, Connecticut Children's Med Center, Hartford, says that their ER is full with longer wait times. Some people are calling it a twindemic. Younger children, unfortunately, are the sex of smaller airways. So they can't deal with the, the secretions as easily as older children. So those tend to be the sicker children. Dr. Michelow says older patients potentially getting pneumonia is also a concern. There are new concerns about airport security after what happened on a Frontier Airlines plane late last week. The TSA is sending some agents back to training after a man boarded a Frontier Airlines flight in northern Kentucky with two box cutters and reportedly threatened to harm other passengers. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts from more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. Thanks, Michael. Almost 510 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update brought to you by Tri-State Audi. Good morning, John Stasha. Good morning, Nathan. The day began with a report that during the bye week, the Giants held contract talks with Saquon Barkley, but the two sides are far apart and won't talk again until after the season. Barkley is having a terrific season. Yesterday, he was busy. 35 carries, 152 yards. The Giants went to him late in the game. Jones now over center. Hand off Barkley. Runs right to the end zone. Touchdown, Giants. Saquon Barkley from two yards out. His sixth, sixth rushing touchdown of the season. And the Giants answer Houston with seven of their own with 2.21 to go. WFA in the call. Barkley now leads the NFL in rushing. He's a big reason why the Giants are 7-2. and two. They beat Houston and MetLife 24-16. A couple of Daniel Jones TD passes. The defense allowed only one TD. And another winnable game for Big Blue this Sunday at home against Detroit. Giants now sole possession of second place NFC East as Dallas lost in overtime at Green Bay. Packers end a five-game losing streak. Game of the day, maybe the season in Buffalo. The 
Bills led Minnesota by 17 in the second half. The game appeared over. Went up four. They stopped the Vikings at the one-yard line, but Josh Allen fumbled a snap. The Vikes recovered for a go-ahead touchdown. The Bills still tied the game, but Minnesota won 33-30 in overtime. The Vikings are 8-1. and one. Two games at the Garden. First, the Knicks. They got outscored by Oklahoma City 145 to 135. The Thunder shot 63%. Rangers then beat Arizona 4 to 1. Nets, a second straight game with the Staples Center. They beat the Clippers, but they lost to the Lakers, who were without LeBron James. Anthony Davis scored 37. The Lakers won 116 103. John Stash, now we're Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? Okay, John, thank you. S&P futures right now are down 17 points. Dow futures down 100. NASDAQ futures are lower by 80 points. We look at the path ahead for this market. Lori Calvacina, head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets, joins us next. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg Sports was brought to you by Audi. Don't let someone else drive off in the Audi model you've always wanted. Visit your local tri-state Audi dealer. Get behind the wheel of yours today or visit AudiOffers.com for more information. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are falling while a European benchmark ticks higher. Treasury yields advancing. The dollar flipped to a gain after weekend comments from Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller that policymakers had a ways to go before ending interest rate hikes. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures down 17 points this morning. Dow futures down 100 and NASDAQ futures down 78. The DAX in Germany is up four-tenths of a percent. Ten-year Treasury down 17 30 seconds. Yield 3.8. 7%. They yield on the two-year 4.36%. NYMEX crude oil is down 1.2% on $1.06 at $87.90 a barrel. COMEX gold down 6 tenths percent or $10.10 at $17.59.40 an ounce. The euro 1.0295 against the dollar. British pound 1.1765 and the yen 140.34. And look at a Bitcoin this morning. It's higher at more than 2% at $16,700. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Karen. President Joe Biden is meeting right now with Chinese President Xi Jinping for their first in-person meeting since the U.S. president took office nearly two years ago. They're meeting on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Indonesia. Both men entered the highly anticipated meeting with bolstered political standing at home. A bomb in Istanbul's popular tourist district killed at least six people and wounded 81, with Turkish officials saying they suspect a terror attack. In the NFL, the Giants won. The 49ers were also winners. In the NBA, the Knicks, Nets, and Warriors lost. The Wizards won. In hockey, the Rangers and Bruins won. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts, more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thanks, Michael. It's 519 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. And as we get the new trading week started, we're joined by Lori Calvacina, head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Lori, it's great to speak with you. As always, this week is getting started with this meeting now underway between Presidents Biden and Xi on the uh, G20 sidelines. Could this uh, meeting between the world's two biggest economic leaders be a catalyst for markets? Uh, Well, thanks for having me, as always. You know, I think it depends on what actually ends up coming out of the meeting. I think right now, 
all focus is still on the Fed. We're still digesting a lot of earnings reports and, of course, Russia-Ukraine. Um, so, you know, I think that this is an issue that investors are watching. But for now, I think it's probably more of a B story than an A story. Okay. Well, let's look at what could be the potential A story this morning. i got to think that it's the uh, cooler than expected inflation print we got that last week, especially the rally that it sparked. I wonder what you make of that rally and whether it has legs. So, you know, it's, it's a great question. You know, I think it, there was a lot that happened last week. It felt like it was one of the busiest uh, weeks we've had for major news events in quite some time. And I think the issue of cooling inflation implications, you know, I, I think on net it's very good for markets. But at the same time, I do think this is a complicated story. And one of the things we said in our weekly that came out this morning, and we wrote this even before, you know, we saw the, the news that came out last night on some of the new Fed commentary. But we said, you know, we, we just expect a return of hawkish rhetoric, um, even if there is more of a con, more of a debate between uh, the hawks and the doves. But we think that hawkish rhetoric will serve to keep a lid on equity prices and can keep conditions volatile for a while. So I do think that this was a step in the right direction in the Fed narrative and the economic narrative, just the idea that we can keep this to a short, shallow, near-term recession as opposed to a longer, nastier one that hits later next year. Um, but I do think we have to contend with the rhetoric. Yeah, we did hear from uh, Fed Governor Waller saying that it's too soon to think about stopping rate hikes. I didn't hear him say that it's too soon to talk about slowing rate hikes. What does this inflation print mean for the Fed's rate hiking path, in your view? So in, in my in my mind, and, you know, really thinking about the, the views of our economists, um, you know, they did sort of raise their estimate on terminal, but they also do have a step down baked in. And I think that that is you know, sort of the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak, that, you know, things are headed in the right direction from an equity market perspective. So I still think it's good news. We heard from uh, Mike Wilson as well from Morgan Stanley, of course, one of the top rated strategists on Wall Street. He's saying that he doesn't think stocks are going to really move much in terms of the level into next year, maybe uh, going up a bit before going or going down a bit before going back up. Uh, What kind of volatility are you looking for in this market into next year? You know, I I probably agree with Mike on this to some extent. We've got a 4,100 target baked in at the end of next year. We've been assuming we'd end this year around 3,800. And, of course, we're a little bit above that right now. Um, But really, one of the things we found that's remarkable is that the stock market, if you look at S&P 500 pricing, has been trading in line with 2002's trading. And back then, you saw a January peak, summer low, big October low. You rallied pretty fiercely into Thanksgiving, and then you turned around and gave it all back and retested the October low the following March. And when I think about the earnings backdrop, I think that that is a reasonable way to think about how this path may unfold, simply because we've done some work in terms of softening EPS expectations for next year. But we still have a lot of work to do to get those right size, and I think you're not going to do that until March. It's possible for equities to bottom well in advance of earnings revisions, uh, stopping their downward ascent. In fact, that's usually what happens. But at the same time, we do think investors need certainty on the E to really understand where PEs are and to feel comfortable stepping in. So I would say buckle up. I think it's going to be challenging. Yeah, and I know also you've been uh, thinking a lot about what the impact of the midterm elections is going to be for several weeks, even into these midterms. Given that we still don't have a firm idea of how the majorities are going to shake out next year, is there more pricing uh, for uh, in terms of politics for this market? 
So I think there could be. I think that if we end up with a narrow House majority, you know, to be honest, I think that is largely baked in at this point. And we thought that equities, a lot of that move off the October low was driven by the improvement in the polling data and the betting market data for Republicans. Republicans did disappoint expectations, so I think that can potentially dampen some of the enthusiasm for the 2024 race. I don't know if that's the right way to think about it, but I think that's how people feel at the moment based on my conversations. Um, I think if the House ends up not going to the Republicans, I think that's a negative market event. Uh, you know, for now, I know one of your competitors, uh, news outlets, is still projecting um, that the Republicans will take that narrowly. So, you know, I see downside if that doesn't pan out, but I think the upside based on the election itself is pretty limited, you know, if, if the Republicans have that narrow majority. Thanks, as always, Lori. Good talking with you this morning. Lori Calvacina, head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. And right now, futures are pointing to a modestly lower open with S&P futures right now down 16 points. Dow futures down 96. NASDAQ futures are lower by 79 points. Ten-year treasuries down 17.30 seconds. The yield at 3.87%, a gain of about six basis points. Yield on the two-year, 4.36, just shy of 4.37%. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Bloomberg Daybreak is brought to you by PPAC Private Wealth Management. PPAC Private Wealth Management knows that a portfolio is more than a collection of assets. It's a path to your future. Visit ppacprivate.com and begin your financial legacy today. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130 to Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991 to Boston. Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco. Bloomberg 960 to the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. It's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Karen Moscow. I'm Nathan Hager. Bloomberg Daybreak brought to you by SEI. Built on advanced technologies and 50 years of innovation, SEI offers asset managers a comprehensive and flexible operations outsourcing platform. Go to SEIC.com slash managers. And we're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. U.S. stock index futures are lower this morning as we await details of a high-powered meeting between Presidents Joe Biden and Xi Jinping. The two are speaking in Bali, Indonesia at the G20 summit. President Biden gave us a preview of the talks during his stop in Cambodia. I know I'm coming in strong, but I don't need that. I know Xi Jinping. I spend more time than any other world leader. I know him well. He knows me. There's no, uh, we have very little misunderstanding. We just got to figure out where the red lines are and what we, what are the most important things to each of us. And President Biden's administration is casting the meeting as a first step rather than a decisive showdown. Back here in the U.S., Karen, stocks are coming off their best week since June. But last week's inflation print is unlikely to carry this rally for much longer. That's according to UBS Senior Vice President Brenda O'Connor Juanes. We need to see a lot of other conditions here before we are believers of this market bottom. Things like we need to see that two-year come in a little bit and a legitimate bottoming in things like housing or ISM. And so I'm telling my families to expect to go down from here. Brenda O'Connor-Juanis with UBS says an unsustainable labor market is keeping inflation high. 
Well, Nathan Morgan, Stanley's Mike Wilson shares that bearish sentiment. He says stocks will end next year almost unchanged from their current level. Wilson expects stocks and earnings estimates to fall before rebounding in the second half of 2023. At the same time, Karen Goldman Sachs forecasts a significant drop in inflation next year. The firm sees supply chains easing, a peak in shelter inflation, and slower wage growth. But that does not mean the Federal Reserve will pivot from its rate hike cycle. Despite calls along those lines, Fed Governor Christopher Waller says there there's still a ways to go before they stop hiking rates. Well, turning to crypto now, Nathan, authorities in the Bahamas are investigating whether there was criminal misconduct in the collapse of the crypto exchange FTX. Police and regulators interviewed co-founder Sam Bankman-Fried on Saturday. Now the head of rival exchange Binance, CZ Zhao, says the industry can't leave it to regulators to police wrongdoing. There is quite a lot of players in, the, in our space that try to cut corners to grow quickly. And that actually destroys consumer trust. When they don't trust them, they come. They don't go to them. They actually go to a platform they trust. Finances CZ Zhao was involved in a public feud with Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX ahead of the firm's rapid collapse. And this is Bloomberg. Thanks, Karen. 533 on Wall Street, 39 degrees in Central Park. we got accident cleanup in Elizabeth. Bayway Avenue is closed at Greer Avenue. More coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr with more on what's happening in New York and around the world. Michael. Thank you very much, Nathan. The long-awaited memorial to the victims of the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in Connecticut officially opened to the public yesterday. There was no ceremony in keeping with the new town's tradition of marking anniversaries and other remembrances of the shooting with quiet reflection. Twenty children and six educators were killed ten years ago next month. Ahead of his new book release, former Vice President Mike Pence speaking with ABC's David Muir condemned then-President Trump's actions on January 6th. Pence says the president's words that day at the rally endangered me and my family and everyone at the Capitol. Members were barricaded inside the House chamber. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of it all, you can see that the president has tweeted. 2.24 p.m., the president tweets, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. It angered me. But I turned to my daughter, who was standing nearby, and I said, it doesn't take courage to break the law. It takes courage to uphold the law. I mean, the president's words were reckless. It was clear he decided to be part of the problem. Pence's book, So Help Me God, comes out tomorrow. A new turning point in the war in Ukraine. Russian forces were driven out of Kherson. Now Ukraine is saying it has recaptured another village, this time in the eastern Donbas region. A man is in custody after a scare aboard a Frontier Airlines flight. It departed Cincinnati, northern Kentucky International Airport, on Friday for Tampa, but diverted to Atlanta where police arrested a passenger, allegedly discovered with a box cutter. This man was on that flight, saying the passenger began attracting attention even while boarding. He was uh, swearing as he's walking down, and then he had clothes falling out of his bag. He was, like, dropping shoes throughout uh, the way Authorities say they found a second box cutter in the passenger's carry-on. A bomb in Istanbul's popular tourist district killed at least six people and wounded 81, with Turkish officials saying they suspect a terror attack. A person is in custody. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. Thanks, Michael. 
Almost 536 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update brought to you by Tri-State Audi. Here's John Stashaw. Thanks, Nathan. Another win for the Giants. Now 7-2 and two with this win. Unlike the others, the Giants five times have rallied in the fourth quarter. This time they never trailed. Against Houston, who has the NFL's worst record, the Giants won 24-16. to couple of Daniel Jones TD passes. Saquon Barkley also scored. He had 35 carries for 152 yards. But after the game, a lot of attention paid to a report that there were recently contract talks and the two sides were far apart. It is what it is. It happened. Uh, I'm just happy that we were able to at least have a conversation. Um, I know how they feel about me. Um, uh, they spoke very high of me. Um, but like I said, we weren't able to get, get any, anything done during a bye week. And I agree with Joe. Just, you know, lock it up and for the rest of the season and make sure no distractions come out of it. Joe Shane's the GM. Barkley did say he wants to be a giant for life. Minnesota is 8-1, and one, a wild overtime win at Buffalo. Josh Allen in the fourth quarter and the OT had three turnovers, including a fumbled snap at the one-yard line that was recovered for a Vikings touchdown. Miami now leads the AFC East. The Dolphins blew out Cleveland. Kansas City is an AFC best 7-2 and two with a win over Jacksonville. Four TD passes for Patrick Mahomes. Three for Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay ended a five-game losing streak. They beat Dallas in overtime. They beat their former coach, Mike McCarthy. First-ever game in Germany, won by Tampa Bay over Seattle. Indianapolis's first game for new coach Jeff Saturday had never been a coach before. The Colts won at Las Vegas. The L.A. Rams, Super Bowl champs a year ago, and now 3-6 and six after a loss to Arizona last night. The 49ers rallied past the Chargers, 22-16. to 16. No defense by the Knicks. They lost to Oklahoma City at the Garden, 145-135. to 135 as The Thunder shot 63%. The Nets, after beating the Clippers in L.A., lost to the Lakers in L.A., 116-103. to 103. The Rangers at the Garden last night beat Arizona, 4-1. to 1. John Stashell at Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? Thank you, John. 537 on Wall Street. Time for the Tri-State Business Report. Here's Bloomberg's Joan Doniger. Blockchain is helping fraud investigators in the city. Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg says the office has frozen more than $1.3 million in cryptocurrency during fraud investigations in the past 10 months. Bitcoin Daily says the office is returning the Bitcoin to victims. New York had been considered a trailblazer in terms of pay. New York City's minimum wage first reached $15 an hour nearly four years ago. But the Times says recently the minimum wages of a number of cities have left New York behind. The richest art season in history is only getting richer after last week's $1.5 billion auction of the late Paul Allen's art assets in which 60 works became the largest single owner sale by value. There is follow-up. In the next week, Sotheby's, Christie's, and Phillips are all set to auction about 2,000 lots, estimated to total a little less than $2 billion. With the Tri-State Business Report, I'm Joan Doniger. Thanks, Joan. 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from New, uh, San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. I'm Steve Podisk on KNX in Los Angeles. We're talking about a mysterious lack of early 20-somethings in the workforce. I'm Courtney Donahoe on KTRH in Houston. Traders bracing with OPEC and the International Energy Agency out with forecasts this week. I'm Stephen Carroll on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We've been reporting on Presidents Xi and Biden meeting face-to-face at the G20 in Bali. 
Those are some of the stories our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning. It's 539 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. Already the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, Haiti is on the brink of collapse. Gang warfare and rolling anti-government protests have blocked the distribution of food, fuel, and water, and rising crime has forced tens of thousands of Haitians to flee. At the request of Prime Minister Ariel Henry, the U.S. and its regional partners have been exploring a possible armed intervention. They should think twice. While Haiti's rich neighbors must do more to help, sending foreign troops risks an even greater disaster. The Biden administration should instead focus on building the capacity of Haitians themselves and provide humanitarian relief directly to agencies with a proven record of distributing funds effectively. Sustained diplomatic engagement and security assistance, not military intervention, holds the best chance for success. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash Opinion or OPIN Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. Listen for Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg Sports is brought to you by Audi. Don't let someone else drive off in the Audi model you've always wanted. Visit your local tri-state Audi dealer. Get behind the wheel of yours today or visit AudiOffers.com for more information. Headlines and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are falling this morning, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Right now, S&P futures are down 19 points. Dow futures down 121, and NASDAQ futures down 91. The DAX in Germany higher, up two-tenths of a percent. The 10-year Treasury down 19.30 seconds, yield 3.88 percent. Yield on the two-year, 4.38%. NYMEX crude oil is down 9 tenths percent or 82 cents at $88.15 a barrel. COMEX gold down 6 tenths percent or $11.30 at $17.58, 10 an ounce. The euro is at 1.0292 against the dollar. British pound 1.1748 and the yen 140.64. Bitcoin this morning up 2.5% at $16,780. As a Bloomberg business flash, now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael. Karen, thank you very much. Joe Biden and Xi Jinping shook hands today to kick off the first in-person meeting between the leaders of the U.S. and China since the pandemic began, with both calling for reduced tensions between the world's largest economies. The two men met on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Bali, Indonesia. Biden also met with Australia, Indonesia, Japan, and South Korea leaders. The National Transportation Safety Board, they are in Dallas to try to figure out what caused two historic military planes to collide at a weekend air show. Six people were killed. In the NFL, the Giants won. The 49ers were also winners. In the NBA, the Knicks, Nets, and Warriors lost. The Wizards won. In hockey, the Rangers and Bruins won. The Capitals lost. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and on Bloomberg Quick Tank, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. <laughs> 
All right, Michael, thanks for coming up to 549 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Let's get more now on this bilat between Presidents Biden and Xi and the outlook in the nation's capital with Democrats having a much better than expected showing in the midterm elections. Terry Haynes is back with us this morning, founder of Pangea Policy. Terry, it's good to speak with you this morning as we continue to watch headlines come down from this meeting between Presidents Biden and Xi. Ahead of it, the president said that he's coming into the meeting from a position of strength after the uh, Democrats uh, stronger than expected showing uh, last week. Do you agree with that? Uh, I think good morning, Nathan. I think that uh, you make your best case uh, uh, domestically and uh, geopolitically, internationally. And so uh, President Biden is doing that. I don't think his uh, realistically, I don't think his standing is much affected. Uh, now, that said, I'll say a point in the president's favor, which is that if he'd gotten absolutely, in his party had gotten absolutely shellacked uh, last Tuesday, uh, that, that would have been a, uh, would have given rise to a geopolitical perception uh, that uh, he has less clout in his own country. So, uh, you know, so I'll give him a little bit on that. Yeah, but uh, fundamentally, it doesn't matter very much. What are you expecting to come out of this meeting? The White House set expectations pretty low ahead of it. Uh, are, are you looking for any deliverables, or is this just about sort of easing uh, the existing tensions? Uh, I think you said it well with easing the existing tensions. Uh, and you know, I find interestingly, I find uh, in large part through uh, Bloomberg reporting, too, that uh, that's how the Chinese are framing it as well. Uh, uh, President Xi said that uh, it really talked about the mutual responsibility of uh, China and the United States to need to find the right direction, elevate the relationship, uh, expects that China and the United States will properly handle the relationship. It's an interesting shift of rhetoric uh, from them uh, because during the Communist Party conference, it was much more about China this, China that, China feels, you know, understand our legitimacy, all the rest. So uh, that's a bit of a different tone. I don't expect it to uh, to move into a much of a different substance, but uh, but the tone shift is interesting and helpful, frankly. Want to get your take on where things stand uh, in the midterms? Obviously, we haven't quite worked out what the full majorities are going to look like in the House, but Democrats are retaining a majority or at least a voting majority in the Senate. What's that going to mean for policymaking, not just in the lame duck, but for the next two years? Generally speaking, you know, and I, I'm a bit of an outlier on this, I think. And- largely because of the the excitement surrounding the election. But fundamentally, it's not going to look a whole lot different than it does today. You're still going to have gridlock on the vast majority of domestic issues. You're going to continue to have uh, fiscal stability because there's been this truce between the parties for the last decade to basically, on basic government funding, pretty much continue the status quo as is with minor uh, minor adjustments. And uh, and you're going to continue to have unanimity on foreign policy, particularly on China issues. So fundamentally, I think it's not going to look a whole lot different. Now, the one thing that uh, that I think is uh, ought to be concerning to markets coming forward is that I think there's an elevated risk. I'm not saying it's likely, but I think there's an elevated risk of problems with the debt limit, debt ceiling, and therefore uh, potential government default. Uh, when you've got two fundamental parties where there really wasn't much of a change election, you know, you had uh, all 28 of the Senate incumbents won re-election, 97% of the House won re-election, that sort of thing. Uh, 
they're going to be scrabbling for every little advantage they can. So my concern is that uh, kind of the, 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 those folks in both parties who are looking to make a differentiation uh, really kind of elevate uh, default potential more than they other, uh, by, through the debt ceiling more than they would have otherwise. Just 30 seconds left here, Terry. How much of a leadership fight is either Nancy Pelosi or Kevin McCarthy in for? Uh, well, I think McCarthy's in for a fight, uh, and I've, uh, I've, I've I've said that. You know, there's the the the, the problem with factions is that uh, is uh, one Republican put it. I'd love a majority of one because then I am the majority, and uh, and that and you know can do you know move things the way I want. Uh, but I think there's going to be a lot of discussion uh, around McCarthy and the Republican leadership team in the wake of uh, what they perceive to be a disappointment. Uh, I think Mrs. Pelosi can pretty much do what she wants. All right. Terry Haynes, as always, good to get your thoughts. Terry Haynes, founder of Pangea Policy. Karen. Nathan, it is 5.53 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Law Report. It is brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 90 years. More at ADR.org. Now let's get to the legal stories we're watching this morning from Bloomberg's Jeff Bellinger. Big Law's hiring frenzy is over. Many highly profitable firms have begun cutting junior lawyers, and the pressure on headcounts is likely to grow in the new year. A proposed federal class action accuses Apple of recording users' private activity on mobile apps without their consent. A federal court in Northern California dismissed a lawsuit accusing Meta platforms of favoring job applicants on temporary work visas over American citizens. Bloomberg Law. Everything you need on one legal research platform. Guidance, analysis, and Bloomberg market intelligence. Find out more at BloombergLaw.com. All right, Jeff, thank you. Now another legal story we're watching. The U.S. Supreme Court sent mixed signals about the fate of a 1978 law that gives preference to Native Americans in adopting and fostering American Indian children. During oral arguments, several members of the court's conservative majority questioned whether parts of the Indian Child Welfare Act could be squared with the Equal Protection Clause and other constitutional provisions. For more on the case, Bloomberg's June Grasso speaks to Ben Kappelman, a partner at Dorsey and Whitney. Tell us about the basic arguments of the challengers. Sure. There are three kind of constitutional principles that the challengers are pointing to for their reasons why they believe ICWA is invalid. One is equal protection, um, the constitutional idea that we can't discriminate on the basis of race. Um, another basis that they point to is they assert that in enacting ICWA, Congress overstepped its authority to regulate um, Native Americans. And then the third idea is what's called the anti-commandeering principle, which is a doctrine that says the federal government um, only has so much control over things that happen in state courts and that state governments participate in. These arguments went on for three hours, which is long even for the new Supreme Court format. Um, was there a particular area that the justices were concerned about, or did it was it broad? So there was, and I think from that um, we can see some of the the tea leaves of how this case might turn out. Um, despite 
I think a lot of interest in this case because of those equal protection racial, racial classification issues. The justices spent most of their time questioning the attorneys on both sides about the scope of Congress's authority to enact statutes involving Native Americans. So, you know, we won't know what the justices are thinking until we get their opinion, but it's interesting that of that three hours, most of it was not spent on the on the racial issue and more on how broad is Congress's authority in this area. And that's Ben Kappelman, a partner at Dorsey and Whitney, speaking with Bloomberg's June Grasso. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast or downloading the show at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com and on the Bloomberg terminal at B-Law Go. It is currently 38 degrees, partly cloudy skies, and uh, futures this morning... Moving lower, S&P futures down 16 points. And our top story straight ahead. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.